Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. What's your favorite type of Bonanza? Mine's when it's like all yellow, no brown spots, no greens either. (laughs) The favorite Bonanza? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Like the type of fruit? It sounds like he's describing a banana. Bonanza fruit? Oh, you're joking. That was like one of those kids. Like Like Joe, you tell your four-year-old. Yeah. Because yeah. banana and banana yeah. are spelled close together. Yeah, I don't think it's similar. an English joke as much as just like a bad joke. Like a bad, uh, maybe yeah. dad joke. Even. I think it's a dad joke. Yeah, I, I think it's bad it's dad in that joke. Category. I mm-hmm. eat a lot of brown bananas because because it takes two seconds. For I'll tell you brown. who'd rather eat a brown one that's like about to be you know look like turn into banana bread. Yeah, what we call Gary pig, Newcomb. Pig food. Really? You love a, a real yeah. Gary, Gary Newcomb now, made it an ethical and moral, <laughs> you know, statement inside of our house to eat brown bananas. Well, so that's where it started for me. Like, I'm not going to throw away bananas, but I would prefer a yellow one. You know what I'm saying? Like, See, he would prefer... I mean, he went really? to the store. Or, or did it like, did it just shift that way because of the moral stand? Oh, 100%. But I'm saying if he went to Walmart and there was like brown ones there, yeah. he'd pick those up. And by the time we got home, he yeah. would have told us, you're going to eat those brown ones and you're going to love it. Yeah. Because hmm. not everybody gets something for free in life. Yeah. Right, Gary? 
That's right. It's well, all about here's my money. Question. It's all about the money, man. <laughs> my question, though, is would he eat a black bear bonanza? Yeah. Oh, oh. excellent. And Bringing that's exactly where we're starting. Bringing it back. We have one. Well, we have many, many special guests today. It's true. But one of our many, special guests today is many, James Brandenburg. James, this is your first time on the Bear Grease it is. render. Yep. Oh, now, is you're it? a long time. Bear Grease yeah. going, throwing old school. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. A yeah. devotee. He, so James would have been on the Bear Grease podcast. Didn't we oh. do a live render last oh, year yeah, at yeah, the yeah, Black yeah. Bear? Yeah, you were on that. At the yeah, Black at Bear. At the Black Bear, the first Bonanza. annual yeah. Black Bear Bonanza. Yes. And so the reason, part of the reason James is here, well, that's not why he's here. He's here because he's James Brandenburg. Oh, yeah. And he's just here. Because he's, he's huge just that kind of guy. And he's got mm-hmm. a cool truck. Got a good truck. <laughs> good what kind of truck he got? He's got a Chevy A7. What is that thing? That's a GMC AT4. Okay. AT4. I like looks, those I AT4s. Tell you, it looks good, it's man. Got I, some, I've got a GMC, but it's not quite that new and fancy, James. It's oh. got some nice flavor on the on the camper shell. Yep. we got a Pebble Mine sticker. I saw yeah, the Pebble Mine other. sticker. A BHA sticker. It's got no. tires. It's yep. got the wheels. I mean, it's got the stuff, you know. Well, you walked right past his truck and walked right past mine. What did you think of mine? I thought your truck looked real good, 2014 too. 2014 Chevy oh, Silverado. Did totally functional. 2014 <laughs> Silverado work truck edition. Absolutely. I know. We hear it on the commercials all the time. Been to Montana pulling mules like four times. New Mexico, Colorado. Been... All over the country. As a shout V6. out to General Motors, and every time I washed. think about that, <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. Every time I think about that truck and you hauling that mule trailer with two mules in it with a V6 in there, I'm always impressed. Oh, me too. I can't hey, believe it. So is everybody I pass. It might impress you more to know I drove it with and? a V6 in there. So with mules on the back. Oh, really? And so I think that. You know, that kind of gives it an extra layer of credibility because uh-huh. it was going about 20 miles faster than when yep. Clay drove it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. It'll pull that trailer 70 miles per hour all the way to Montana. Now, really. now uh, James, more do you that. have to have a souped-up new GMC to attend the Black Bear Mananza? Gosh, I or, hope not. Or are all vehicles welcome? All vehicles welcome. Okay, so the teacher in me is wanting to put some structure to the Black Bear Bonanza and what we're okay, talking let's, about. You want to tell us it? about the Black Bear Bonanza. All right, all right. The 2023 Black Bear Bonanza. It's a uh, educational fundraising event. Um, it's put on by Arkansas BHA. It'll be March 4th at the Benton County Quail Barn in Bentonville, Arkansas. Take March 4th is a Saturday. It is a Saturday. Let, Jay- me, let me start this over. He said this was a fundraiser event. People don't. Or education. This is a, yeah. a stomp down good time. That's right. About Arkansas black bears and a bunch of cool people <laughs> and a podcast. And yeah, I was thinking that we need to start with a better knives. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be it'll be so much fun when people get there that they won't even know <laughs> that, that it's, it's a, a fundraiser. fundraiser. <laughs> that it's a fundraiser slash educational event. Fun, yes, yeah. fundraiser. Put, yeah. Put the fun and fundraiser. And that's right. There we go. <laughs> I heard there they we were going to have a live black bear just roaming loose in the event. Dancing black bear. Don't let yeah. that secret get out. <laughs> we need to keep that right so, here in the room. What are we doing? What are we doing at the Black Bear Bonanza? Okay, so we're gonna do. We'll have some cooking demos. Um, we're gonna do a bear grease render podcast. So, so we'll all be there. Well, I mean, there will be. I mean, I, I'm I pretty know. confident everybody in this room will be there. Okay. I'm 99% confident that everyone in this room will be there. I mean, I'll go if Misty goes. We got to talk to Isaac, see if he'll come. I'll go with Josh. I really if want Josh to. Goes. Yep. You'll go if Josh goes. Okay, we got a Sweet. deal. 
The Wallabies Brent Reeves will be there. Yep, Brent's gonna he's gonna MC the Owl Hoot contest oh. for us this year. Oh, nice. Very yes. nice. And you're gonna judge it this year, Clay. Yes. So last year Clay MC'd. Okay. And this year we're gonna put his yes. judging skills to the test. That's what you need to do. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'll be the yeah. greatest Owl Hoot judge that ever walked this continent. I have no doubt. It, so that like means he food, can't compete. Exactly. It's like a food. I'm, critic. I'm not saying I'm the greatest Owl Hooter. No, I know that, but I'm saying you can't compete. No. In a contest, but he would be like if like the scary food critic came to your restaurant yeah. and was like picking up apart every single thing yeah. you did when it comes exactly. to Al Hoots. Clay's he's, the, he's the Gordon Ramsay. Exactly, of Al your trail, trail was lacking a little bit. Yeah. Oh, let me hear your laugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, hey, you know what I want to see with this this Al Hooten contest? I'd like I'd like to see the best guys in the world come in here. That'd be awesome. Who is the I, guy? Who is the guy on the front porch of that old house? He's just a dude from Missouri. Hey man, There's he's a lot about of good ones up in Missouri, man. It's about as good as it gets. It is. And see, what I want to do is I want to start bringing in these guys, and like they would become legends. You know how like friends. Like a, like a guy would have a racehorse, and he would be like, "I want that racehorse." Yeah, and oh. he's up in the stands watching. I'm going to pay for this guy to come down here and he's going to be like, like a ringer. I'm imagining he's be like, you know, my guy. Yeah. I'm imagining like 20 years in the future, this has turned into like the bass fishing circuit where they have <laughs> logos all over their oh, clothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they pull in in the big trucks yeah. completely logoed so, up just to make an owl. Yeah. If you have, yeah. if you, if you are listening to this, Bridge you're in charcoal. the contiguous United States, um, you should come to Bentonville, yeah. Arkansas for our owl hooting contest. Mm-hmm. And when is it? And I think even, it's March 4th. Okay. That's a Saturday. Month it's a Saturday. Even people from Alaska and Hawaii are was, welcome, Clay. I, I, There's no barred owls over there. They don't know how to hoot. I would think people in Canada. <laughs> I feel come. like you're setting up a real underdog story for a, you a, really are. a Hawaiian <laughs> or an Alaskan. <laughs> yeah. I just heard half of Alaska <laughs> light up. <laughs> or someone from the Caribbean. I mean, Incredible. we're not limited yeah, true. to. Absolutely. True. Yeah. We could have a true cool runnings kind of thing. Here. Exactly. Oh, Jamaican oh, there you go. It would be <laughs> if somebody from out of this country would. I'll be honest. I'm just going to be honest. Okay, so now I'm imagining... Josh Spillmaker, who is in the room and a part of the render today, as a real sort of John Candy-esque expat okay. who moves to Jamaica and yeah, coaches Antigua. Antigua. Okay. Coaches what if, the what Antiguan. What if you got kicked out of the render and you went down there <laughs> yeah. and turned yeah. Candy back guys to a Rolling large with my team. Yeah. Come back in here. I wow. feel like this, this is, gonna is be some big. high quality Bear Grease intellectual the Disney, property. The Disney movie. So yeah. where are we right at? Now. Okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> we okay. We've what, got. So hold on, Isaac. How are okay. You new, new hashtag. Isaac quit interrupting. <laughs> I'm excited about okay. the bonanza. <laughs> okay. Wait. Let Misty talk. Yeah. I'm going. <laughs> we got two now. I, Isaac, don't interrupt. Okay. So we got Al Hoot contest. Al Hoot contest. We're gonna uh, Myron Means from the Game and Fish Commission. Large carnivore. Yep. Biologist. He will do another Q and A session for us. <laughs> How big a boy are you? <laughs> Myron will be wearing a pair of overalls, a John Deere cap. If you, if you have a question as to how big he is, uh, Clay did a video with him. On a bear den study that's available somewhere. If in the only they knew how universe. big I was. Yeah, it's all about scale on video. It is that's scale. True. Um, the newer things that we're adding to it this year will be we're going to do a butchering demo. Oh, that's part okay. of this is what is are we a, butchering. A deer, hopefully a deer. If we can get one, you know, if it's not that, we'll get a a, a pig or a goat or something like that. It's generally the same thing. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is introduce people to the fact that we go outside. Yeah, we can hike, we can bike, but we can also hunt and fish. 
these things are very normal activities that that we engage in and and we have a lot of people moving into the area who maybe don't do that but are interested in learning how we're going to try to break down the barriers to that so that they have a little bit more confidence we're introducing them to BHA as a as an avenue to gain those skills and then the f- the fundraising piece of it dirty word <laughs> um we've got a couple of things that we're going to uh raffle off but I'm gonna this I'm gonna big. pass this around so metaphorically um, and physically. It is. It's a very large knife. And oh. and this knife was made by Garrett Polk. This knife uh, This is not one you just wanna go traipsing through the woods on your hip. Well you see could. you could it, and, and <clears throat> this is what Garrett told me beautiful. yesterday. This is what he told me about it yesterday. It's a beautiful knife. The handle is made with a femur bone from oh, wow. Batman. So clay's this, oh, really? that, that handle bone, it looks like elephant ivory. It, it is does. not. It is the femur wow. bone from the largest black bear I've ever killed. Yep. True story. We'll get some good pictures of, the, of this up on the Instagram, but um, the like, steel what, is four, AEBL four and steel. Four and a half inch blade, probably four and a half, five inch Probably blade. four and a half, five inch blade. I've got the particulars. And what Garrett told me is this knife is made to be used. Okay. He said, "That's what they all say." He, yeah, they all want them to be taken out into the field and used. And wow. then he made the sheath for it, and it's got a beaver tail inlay on the sheath. And that beaver was trapped on public land here in Arkansas by one of our board members, Brad Green. Nice. So we will. So we're this knife will be in the you'll special be able to buy raffle. It. Yeah, you'll be able you to say- buy a ticket and then put it in a bucket. And yeah, it's great, man. I, I really like that barebone, man. It, it, for real, it looks like. It's like ivory. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Josh's thing? What? Yeah. Your hat. Oh, oh yeah. The stakes are high for the owl hoot contest. Yes. So the Whoa. winner the winner of the owl hoot contest, Clay, oh, wow. is going to get a handmade, a, a handmade coonskin cap. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Made by Josh Spillmaker. Yep. There's only a handful of those mm-hmm. in this fact. on this great planet. Yeah. right. So, um, so last year we had people from all over the country come. We did like, we had from Pennsylvania to Idaho. We had from the Dakotas all the way to South Texas, you know, from across the country. Last year, I don't know how many people were there. We had about 400 people. And that was our first year and and we didn't, I mean, it was the first year we did it. It, it, It's a good event and I'll, I'll be there all day just hanging out. It's family friendly. Bring your kids. Everybody 12 and under gets in free. This year tickets are super easy. It's ten bucks for adults to get in the door. Yeah. That you know, have a good time all day. Yep. Game and Fish Commission is gonna support us as well. So they'll have some some educational booths and stuff like that. And then, you know, we can't do all of this without sponsors. So far, our big sponsors are Umarex, the Aragon mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. You know, people that listen to this podcast would have heard their ads. Yep. yep. Vortex has has just they were like, sign us up. We want to help out. And Numerex oh, was the same way. They reached out to us. They're oh, like, nice. hey, when's that going on? We want to be a part of it. So good. And we're gonna do a live bear grease render there. I'm not sure who's gonna be on it yet. So all of you in this room, just be on your best behavior. Be like so, things aren't looking good maybe, for me. Maybe you can we? <laughs> maybe you get picked. Maybe you won't. This is our audition. I can guess. we plead <laughs> our case, or is it a drawing? The, or well, how uh, that works. There's a persuasive essay. Yeah, a persuasive <laughs> essay. Well, that's great. So that's and March what, the fourth, Benton County Quail Barn in Bentonville, in Bentonville, Arkansas. Doors open at nine. We'll go from nine to five. There'll be things going on all day. Come for the whole day. Have a good time. We'll have a website up. 
So it's the easiest way to find it is go to backcountryhunters.org, look for the events page, and look for Black Bear Bonanza. And um, by the time this podcast comes out, that page will be up and people can buy tickets. And folks, if you're coming, buy tickets and let us know you're coming so we make sure and have enough of everything there for you. Enough to, corn dogs. Enough corn dogs, water, and porta johns. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm those gonna, are the I'm three be, things I need. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to have a corn dog stand there. No, no, I'm not. Clay's corn dog stand. Well, great. Fantastic. Misty Newcomb had a big day yesterday. Huge. Well, uh, yeah. She Did she you... killed her first duck. Congratulations. Tell us about that, Misty. Okay, Was that I everything ha- you hoped it would be? I, 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 I have things to say. All right. I'm not the big hunter in our family. The hunting that I've done, done pretty surprising. much in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's it's actually clay. You may be surprised. Um, but the last 20 years, when I've gone hunting, most of the time I'm a chaperone. I'm sitting right. or like just coming along to hang out with clay. I could get into duck hunting. Like I could I could be a duck hunter. And I, I believe that's huntress. Huntress. That's right. That's right. We, uh, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I really... Like I've seen pictures of people duck hunting and it kind of looks really different and I knew waders were involved. So I figured, okay, it's going to be cold, wet, early. This doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but going to take one for the team. First of all, Amory, just as kind of a continuation mm-hmm. from last, from Amory Dramus. Dramus, who was on the last podcast, gave me some tips that she learned from Kaylee that, that she also learned and both were on the last podcast. Shooting tips. Shooting tips. And so we went out the first day, that evening we got there and we hey, shot Hey, Misty, ski. I also want to tell you, I am right-handed and left-eye dominant as well. Okay. So you're not the only one. Well, and it doesn't even matter, it turns out, when yep. you're shooting ducks because you're looking at the target, not at the, not down the barrel. And so that was a, a, a big game changer. So she gave me a few tips and really, i I, I couldn't believe what a difference it made in, in a matter of seconds, not hours and not lots of practice. But I was able to shoot those skeet and that was fun, super fun. I mean, not 100%, but still better than 0%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next morning we woke up and I really didn't know what to expect. The dog situation in duck hunting is pretty amazing because uh, the dogs just like, it's super fun to watch a dog that's been bred to do something that has a function. It it's really amazing to watch them. And so the dog was like antsy and he was sitting, they had this chair hooked up to a tree and it was just really enjoyable to watch him. You know, we would, we would talk and have, which is like thing two. So thing one, (laughs) the dog that's, that's, and I'll come back to thing two in a second, but um, you can actually talk in duck hunting and, but the dog was no nonsense. He was just like sitting there and he, he was alert and watching. And he, if you watch the dog, you could see, okay, here's where the ducks are coming in from. And so they were really, everybody was so, so nice. Britt and Clay, especially, you know. We were with Amory Dramas, mm-hmm. me and Brent, and then Luke Naylor. Who's also who's been on the podcast. Who is the. Uh, uh, waterfowl biologist. No. He was. No, he's no. the director. Oh. Chief. The, the chief, chief of the wildlife division. Chief of the wildlife wildlife division way to go yeah and they were so so nice so when the the first little the first thing of ducks came in what do you call them they were teal well but what do you call what do you call is it a flock flock. it's a flock Flock. Flock. so the first flock of ducks came in they just let me shoot no one else shot and the first one came in and it was like "Ah, i don't know what to do where's my gun (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean like it takes a minute to like get in position. You don't, you don't see them coming in. You yeah. Know? I mean, like you're just kind of, you're kind of hiding, trying to be still. And it's just like, all of a sudden, like they're there, they're there. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And, you know. and so like, I thought I would be prepared, but 
it took a second to get the gun up. And I mean, I think I shot that first time, but definitely mm-hmm. didn't hit anything. But then the second one that came in, they did it again. They just let me shoot. And I, it was a, a group of a flock of teal, mm-hmm. which apparently is a real fast little bird. And mm-hmm. I shot and I got, I got one and it was super exciting, like super exciting. There's no film of it. Cause we were just, uh, you know, it was all hands on deck to get me to, yeah. And, and then, so what was, then they released the dog and the dog just jumps up and looks like it's, you know, this was, this is what its purpose in life is and got to fulfill it. And it was so, I love the dog. I mean, Baron. Yeah. Baron. I'm probably, black lab. probably going to have to, and so the dog to then, go so kind of- then we weren't working many mallards. We were sitting on the edge of a overgrown field that had just kind of been and had not been planted or tilled that year, and it kind of butted up against the slough and it had flooded. And so basically, it was a flooded field that didn't have crops in it, but it had coffee bean and a lot of just like not actual weeds and vegetation coffee. in it, and they had. They had seen some mallards right there the day before, so we were sitting there. But the mallards weren't working much, but we'd have teal come bombing in. And so after Misty Misty killed one on the second group of Mm -hmm. ducks that came in, Mm -hmm. so we were like, sweet, we got a duck. And so she was gaining some confidence. And so the the, the next time we're working a group of like seven or eight teal, and they're about to light, and I say, Misty, just... Start pulling the trigger and don't stop until He's, it clicks. Clay said, "Shoot three <coughs> times." Yeah, she, 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 you know she's got a plug in there, and I said, "Shoot three times." And she was looked at me just like, "Oh, we can do that!" <laughs> bam, 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 bam. <laughs> I hope it wasn't bam, 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 bam. Well, I hope bam, it was bam, just, bam. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so, thing one that I like about duck hunting dogs. Thing two, you get to talk to people. It's real social. It's a lot more. And yep. and it, we were with great people. They were a lot of fun, and everybody was. I mean, they were. Across the board, just fantastic hosts, and I learned a whole lot about about ducks and and just it was just fun to be with people, and it's a lot. And then thing three is just oh, the wow. intensity of it. Like mm-hmm. it's not like you know when you go on a deer hunt, it's, uh, <laughs> you might sit slow. for five weeks you and take, yeah. take a long nap. Yeah, and I, I remember going on Clay one time describing our Shep when he was taking Shep hunting, and he said it was like being in a sleeping bag with a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> What real? Is this? I'm well, just like, just like you're restless, and I kind of felt like Ship in all those deer hunts. It's like, well, we're just gonna sit here, and it's it's just not as it it's rewarding at the end, but it's different than than duck hunting. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas duck hunting, like they come in and it's like, boom, boom, boom. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. You, so you like the dog work? I did. Yeah, that was pretty I, amazing to watch. I've got the perfect breed of dog that you guys. I mean, you got the perfect dog for me. I do. <laughs> I do. What kind of dog have you got? Boykin Spaniel. It, it, how's it doing? Great. It you talk about yeah, yeah. You talked about the the dog sitting there like yeah, yeah, yeah. We went we went this past Sunday, and we had some geese come in, and they landed too far out where we we had no shot at them. But he could see them, and I was sitting right next to him. We were on the on the bank of this strip pit pond, and he was vibrating, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> he wanted me to let him go yeah. so yeah. bad, you know. And I didn't have to hold on to him, but I was yeah. just in case. That's the. I mean, that there's a lot of good things in duck hunting, but that's yeah. probably the best part of it yeah. for me is just watching that dog get so excited to go out and catch the thing that it was made to do. Yeah. 
And Boykins mm-hmm. are yeah. Boykins are great family dogs. They're great pets. Mm-hmm. Like ours just, you know, he'll just lay around the house and be snuggly and everything. And then when it's time to go, he's at the door whining. Ready he's to ready, roll. ready to go. How big is he? He's 35 pounds. He's about, okay. about yay tall. You know, what is that? 18, 24 inches at the shoulder. Okay. Yep. Pretty small. Smaller, yeah. much smaller than a, than a lab. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Isaac, cool you've been duck hunting quite a bit? Oh, yeah. Where you been? I can't tell you. <laughs> tell me. You're <laughs> tell me every single spot you've been. I've been in the Delta in Arkansas a lot and then just, uh, you know, west central Missouri quite a bit. There's mm-hmm. a lot of Have you been killing some ducks? Area. Scratching out. No no lights out days up in Missouri, and I managed to time really? it so that uh, I w- my time down in Arkansas last week was bookended by two really great days on either side. What's a great day? A limit. A limit? Four mallards. Yeah. So mallards were you by yourself? No, no. I, I, I've I got a buddy down there in uh, Duvall's Bluff so you got that two has limits? a camp. No, 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 no. They were limiting the day, the two days before I showed up. You weren't even there. I scratched out a few ducks, and then they started killing them again once we left. So hmm. gotcha. feels good. Gotcha. Man, I'll tell you, here's the thing that I have yet to, well, I'm getting, I'm starting to understand it. Just the more you're exposed to duck hunting, the more you understand the the, the draw to it. And if you understand the, the draw to it, and that's not the best way to describe it, but the more that you can get through the hard part of right. it. Um, like, for instance, we took some people coon hunting the other night for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to understand their position inside this coon hunt. We just went out in the dark and turned this dog loose that they have no connection to, nor do they probably really have any value for a coon. I mean, like most people would see a coon right. dead on the side of the road or truck and pictures, and it's, it's not this like highly valued animal. And you hear a lot of negative press about coons being overpopulated and all this stuff, nest predators. To me, when I hear a dog bark just as faint as you could hear one and you walk to it and you get like a hundred yards from the tree and you see glowing orange eyes and you hear your dog underneath it, like that is a incredible like feeling. And when you walk up and you see a ring tail hanging off the bottom of that tree and you, you don't get that just in a moment, you get that over a lifetime of wanting to love something. And, and, and kind of what it represents. Uh-huh. So to me, a treed coon is just like, wow. Yeah. But somebody else might just be like, dude, I see coons every day on the side of the road dead. Yeah. I'm starting to learn about what that is for duck hunting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because duck hunting is a ton of work. Yes. It's, it, you get, wake up extremely early, and more times than not, you don't do very good. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> this is the one thing about big game hunting is that you can go have a bad streak of deer hunting, but at the end of the season, you know, maybe you're going to get your buck. And yeah. the, the payoff is so big yeah. right. that mm-hmm. it makes all that suffering worth it. Mm-hmm. And so... I hiked, we hiked, we calculated about seven miles on Sunday at the place that we went. Duck hunting. Duck hunting. And just so... And hiking the, in, carrying decoys, and then we did a little bit of just walking around, maybe jump shooting if we could find any. And we couldn't find any. We didn't fire our guns on Sunday. Hiked seven miles. And even if we had, I mean, the most we would have brought home is six ducks, which right. is not nearly as much stuff as what you get off of one deer. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So it's, but 
But the experience of being out there, you're out early, you get to see everything, it's exciting, you're talking about where you're going to go. Yeah. You're calling. That's the that's the fun part, right? Yeah. Is talking yeah. to the ducks mm-hmm. and trying to get that figured out. Um I don't think I you can it. underestimate the like aspect of like the foolishness of it. Right. And like so that goes hand in hand with like the talking, like camaraderie, right? Yeah. Where you're all up in the middle of the night in the dark standing in water hopefully oh, it's yeah. really cold yeah. like that's like the best you case scenario yeah yeah <clears throat> and you're like doing this all together with your friends and you're like mm-hmm. why are we doing this? why are we doing this yeah exactly because i can't not and and it's there's like, and no it's not like you get a trophy duck you know what i mean right it's like you right. know i used to think that but there there are so first of all a banded if you shot yeah, a banded bird that's, that's a trophy but we went on a guided hunt in Nebraska last year and we shot some widgeon that were, I'd, we'd never even seen a widgeon before. I'm not a very seasoned duck hunter, but we shot a widgeon that everybody else in the blind was like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And then yeah. when you start looking at it, you're like, oh, I understand why this is, it, it's really nuanced, I guess. But, it, is the it, but it's completely luck. I mean, it's, it's not sure. like it's oh, not yeah. like yeah, it's saw that duck on a trail cam, yeah. and I'm gonna go hunt it. Well, right. <laughs> but it, but it's not. I think that would. Uh, I don't know. That that's the best way to say it, Josh. No, but it, it is true. <laughs> like you're not targeting a specific duck. Right. You're so not like, like I hope. I hope. Well, at uh, least you guys aren't. I mean, <laughs> that teal that Misty shot the other day. We had that thing on trail cam for a week. <laughs> I've got a serious question. A mile away. He wasn't daylighting, and as, then all of a sudden, as someone that's new to. it. I, I picked up that bandits were banded ducks were really valuable. What's the is it just that it's cool? Yeah, yeah. it's just not like totally, it's yeah. just that it's one. And, yeah, it's rare. It's rare. Maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know how many ducks literally are banded. I mean, let's just yeah. say one in five hundred thousand ducks. I don't know. It's banded, and, and it's kind of neat that you can plug in the information on the band, see where it was banded. It's yeah. like life cycle. That's that's a neat little nuance. There, into. there is a lot of little neat things about duck hunting, and one of them is the diversity of ducks. Like when we go out here squirrel yep. hunting, like we could kill fox squirrel or gray squirrel. Mm-hmm. When you go deer hunting, you know you're going to kill a deer. When you go duck hunting, you all the different ducks are are there's different value added to How each How many other. different ducks can you kill in Arkansas? Oh, man. Lots. You're asking the wrong guy. There, there are 41 in North America. I don't know how many really? are in the and they're, Mississippi and they're flyway. Specific. I would and guess about 15 to 17 species just off the top of my but head. But you're probably, yeah. in any one given sit, only going to kill like two or three varieties. Right. Mm-hmm. But the guys here in Arkansas, at least, want to kill mallards. They mm-hmm. can right. care less about most other ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, just what, uh, except for teal. Misty it, and I are big teal people. I'm would, a huge teal fan. <laughs> and, and they're really cool. Now, what I wanted to ask about the teal is, how are you going to cook the teal? So I'm, okay, so I have one, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a teal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's not big. Wait, wait, wait. You just have one? So you shot at all the other ones and you guys didn't bring so any more back? We have, no. yeah. Okay, well, there was one other teal killed. Okay. It, it was a, a two-bird morning. Okay. And I... I really want to mount mine. It is a really pretty bird. Okay. And so, um, I, and I was having a hard time deciding whether to mount it or to cook uh-huh. it because I, the whole reason I went was I wanted to cook a duck. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I got... I say your I, first one you mount. I mounted it's, that one. And, real pretty. And the, and the other one was donated to me to cook. So, <laughs> okay. um, but I think I, 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 we had a gumbo, a duck gumbo. Uh-huh. And I thought that would be super, like it was... We it just was, say Dumbo. 
you you would call it demo. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, I thought that would. I want to do something where it's either pressure cooked or mm-hmm. you know low and slow. I we tried some duck. We tried to cook duck last year. We're not rare meat people. Okay. And that I think makes a huge difference in whether you like duck or not. I oh, think that, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And so since that's not who we are, we're gonna have to find another way than just like you know smoking or grilling it up. And, Look- Look up teal in a jar. Okay. That's a that's a way to do it. And you, you know, put all the ingredients into a jar and cook it low and slow. Okay. Um, I've heard that's pretty good. I think I think I might have tried it once, but I can't remember for sure. Brad that we were talking about earlier with the beaver tail. Okay. They did it once and he, he's not a big duck hunter, uh-huh. but they thought it was okay. So it's really funny because I have this one teal and in the past two days, everyone's given me a recipe <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's like, well guys, I've got this one teal. <laughs> yeah, one. We're going to invite a bunch of friends over. Yeah. yeah Our for, other friends. For my, have, a, have a bite each. For my plate. Uh, yeah, my plate of teal. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. 
people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. I'd like to talk about a man named Tecumseh. Is that why we're here? Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. I, I like mm. I like the way they say his name, Tecumseh. Okay. Well, there is a that couple. That is the way a... Robert Morgan said it. I Tecumseh. know. I like it. Is that the way you wanted to say it too? No, Isaac? Tecumseh. I've always been a Tecumseh guy. What did you? What, what was you started was... off Tecumseh, and then really? you, you and then you were code switching on me. Yeah. You'd be saying Tecumseh, and then I say Tecumseh, and then you'd switch over to Tecumseh. It's true. And then somebody and gave then you advice. And then when you're not around, he goes back to yeah. Tecumseh. Well, it, and it's neither one of them. It's Tecumseh. Oh, there's a th at the end. Tecumseh. Man, on the way here, I said his brother's name like 200 times so I could remember it, and now I forgot again. Tensquadua. Tensquadua. And I said it different ways more than once on the podcast. Because this is what I want to start off on talking about Tecumseh. Is that I have never Isaac can vouch for this. Sounds like we, Mike Tyson. I've never researched something so long. This was well over a year ago that I started researching Tecumseh, and as I as I learned more and more, I pronounced the names different, and as I kind of nailed it down. But this was probably the most well, for sure, the most research that I ever did. You went and, to New York. Maryland. Okay, let's Ohio, tell. I went to Oklahoma. I went, I went to New York to meet with Robert Morgan to meet with New York Times bestselling author Robert Morgan. Ooh. If I'm an, if I'm ever a New York Times bestselling author, <laughs> I want y'all to introduce you're just me gonna to have every your, single way. You're gonna have you're your name like, legally this is my changed. Friend, New this York is, Times bestselling this author. This is my Clay husband, Newcomb. New York Times bestselling author Clay Newcomb. <laughs> I, 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 Clay, I this is my myself, new friend Betty. Anytime <laughs> I like say Robert name. Morgan's name, I, that's the way I want to introduce him. It's like yeah. you did this, my man. Maryland um, was New York so, Times bestselling author Stephen Rinella. Well, he is for sure. Yeah, yeah, multiple times. So the so Robert Morgan, I I went to his house to talk to him. And uh, I also interviewed him about another topic that we haven't even done oh. yet. Um, then I went to I went to Maryland for Peter Cousins. Went to D.C., Washington, D.C. Yeah, Maryland, essentially, yep. um, to meet with Peter Cousins, who is the author of the book Tecumseh the Prophet, which is, I mean, I'm not really authorized to say what is the seminal work on Tecumseh because there are a lot of books on Tecumseh and a lot of stuff. But I I have not found one that is that I liked as much as this one. And I looked at several of them. So this is a great book, Tecumseh and the Prophet. It's it's a it's a read, man. I mean, it's it's a read. It's not it's no joke. Um so we went up there. Now I went to Dallas, Texas to meet Dr. Dave Edmonds who basically has spent his life 
as a historical researcher of Native American history, but he's also very involved in with multiple tribes and, and, and stood before, been, been involved in court cases and different things that have to do with tribal history. There's a lot of, there, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that, I mean, that has always gone on with the tribes and the U.S. government and land and treaty stuff. They're still, I mean, it's pretty wild. Yep. So Dave Edmonds, very, very, very knowledgeable guy. And uh, Dave's like 81 years old. That's it. But wow. He was, uh, yes, he, he was a neat guy. guy. And then um, Chief uh, of I the went Shawnee to Nation. Miami, Oklahoma. Yep. And met with Chief Ben Barnes, which was a really, yeah. Can really you say neat that right, thing. please? Miami. I thought about that. Miami, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you went to? Well, we went to Ohio. Watch the Tecumseh outdoor drama. Yeah. Me and Isaac drove to. <laughs> Drove to Ohio to watch. There is a outdoor drama in Chillicothe, Ohio, that's been going on for fifty years. Yeah, I mean a major outdoor production with like a hundred cast members. Wow! Wow! And a big outdoor stadium. Gunshots that they don't prepare you for. Gunshots. Okay. That will. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Our ears are ringing. Two-hour-long outdoor play. We got like live horses. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Indian battles. Hang out with the. Guy who produces it and the pyrotechnics guy who yeah. have both been there for a long time. Yeah. So there's a lot on Tecumseh. And the best part of it is, is that I didn't know anything about Tecumseh a year and a half ago. Nothing. I, I, I'll tell you how I got interested in him is I was reading another book, a book by Alan Eckhart called The Frontiersman, which I didn't. Oh boy, I'm gonna make some enemies. I I didn't like the book. I actually couldn't finish it. It was written in a. It's a very famous book. It's it's it's. He wrote very well known. A well known biography of Tecumseh, and he also wrote the outdoor drama, didn't he? That's right. And he's you know he's Eckhart. He's, Eckhart, yeah, he's he's passed away, but he uh, his his books, especially the Frontiersmen, were done. They're they're written. What do they call it? Like uh, a historical narrative. Historical fiction. Yeah. Basically, they uh. take real stuff that they know happened yep. and kind of dramatize it inside of Tell writing. it in a story form. So it's, it, it's, it's very informative in that you, you get, probably get a really good picture of what happened, but they're totally just guessing about like, you know, they, they would put right. words into Tecumseh's mouth about him talking to... It, it would be a story that is informed by the historical figures and a lot of research, but factually it's like yeah i had i had a hard time yeah my wife loves books like that well she should yeah. check it out she loves a historical fiction so but i was telling you i feel why, like too. i was telling you why i i was reading that book and it was talking about tecumseh because he he's in the book and it and it talked about how his name meant a panther crossing the sky that's Man, pretty dope they mm-hmm. knew how to name yeah they did. yeah and ten squad well i mean my Even mom just, just gave me Josh. Syllables, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. It's so complex, though. Tenskwatawa's name wasn't Tenskwatawa until after he had the visions. Okay. His name was uh, Correct. Larry. Larry. Sorry. Lalawitha. Lalawitha. Yeah. Yeah. Still think it's a, it's a better name than Josh. Sorry, man. Both of them are great. <laughs> so, so, moms, you need to work a little harder yeah, at this. Yeah, do, well, do better. Both are strong in their own way. 
<laughs> the other thing that I wish I had known, which I declared on the podcast, was that I wish I had known about the burying a whitetail antler with an ambulance. Oh, that's cord. big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. chance. Did y'all do that yeah. with me, Dad? No, we... we <laughs> We did not. You got that umbilical cord floating around anywhere? I don't Is know, Is it man. too late to bury it? I, man, Is there it's... another body part you could use? That's a great <laughs> Cut question. Cut off a finger? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, um, Misty, what did you think of the podcast? I thought it was really good. I thought um, you're, you're taking a pretty complex topic, and you're just trying to look at it, you know, shoot it straight. Get get the get the facts and none of the other stuff around it. And I, you know, you acknowledged in the podcast that this kind of stuff, for no good reason, can be difficult to talk about because people get so um, I don't know. Pe- people get so easily offended and 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 don't necessarily want to look at things. Just yeah, mm-hmm. they they people want to make a lot of a lot of qualifying statements around everything. And mm-hmm. I thought you did a good job of just like saying this is. This is what happened. This is a story. It's a very intriguing story. I mean, there's so many different aspects of of this particular story. As as you're going through it, it almost felt like it almost felt unreal. I mean, like the brother. What did he? I I, I remember your phrase. Do you think he called that down? Yeah. What was oh, when, what was when, the when Tecumseh told William Henry Harrison that he was going to go back to Detroit and stomp his foot, and it was going to the earth was going to shake his house down. Okay. Yeah. And the, yeah, right, right. So the earthquakes and, but there was just several aspects of it that were, it, yeah, almost um, unbelievable. And I'm not saying that I don't believe these things happen. Like I, I do believe these things happen, but I, I just thought it was a great, it's a very intriguing tale. I'm looking forward to hearing the other two. Uh, I think there's, it, it's a sad tale. I mean, yeah, it's, that, it's on, it. on a lot of different levels, personal, like what happened to his people if, if I put myself, and I think that's what you did really well in this. You, you made to come, to come to a person. Yes, very you, good. You know, you made him a person that mm-hmm. you could relate to and not like this heroic figure, which he was, but, or, or you took someone whose life had a whole lot of dynamics in it that, that seemed too big to be real. And you could kind of feel like, well, if I was in his boat, if I was in his shoes, this is yeah. how I would, uh, yeah, I can understand. I can understand this man, man that better. loved his people. Yeah. I love He loved it. being an Indian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He loved living the way that they, wanted to live yeah you know? yeah and it's you know i think it also gives a level of well i'll let someone else i'll let someone else talk and if y'all don't Josh, say it i what will you think uh, what, or what was you can give an overarching statement but like what is one thing i can think of one thing that if i were talking to you i would get excited about and i would say man you wouldn't believe this I, about this i thought it was fascinating the overlap with daniel boone yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that was <laughs> that surprise you dad it did. Yeah, that was fat. That kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't quite, you know, I listened today uh, to the podcast and I didn't quite catch all the timelines. Yeah. And then when you started talking about that, I'm like, oh man, this is like two huge figures in American history just yeah. palling around. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You think it's pre- pretty the, incredible. At the very least, in more of uh, his, uh, Daniel Boone's biographies, it would come up. Oh, and by the way, he had these interactions with this probably the most prolific leader. But of it was like Native a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. mean, like, Daniel Boone wouldn't have even. Eventually, he he would have known who he I was. I mean, Shirley Tecumseh would have known who Daniel Boone was at oh, least yeah. at the very oh, yeah. least, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, but we don't. There is no record, right, of them actually. No, no they were they, just they were they were contemporary. All that you know? stuff yeah. back there. It's so 
there is a lot of folklore around all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Folklore meaning just we're not exactly sure how to yeah. dial it in. Possibly exaggerated tales. But that is not folklore. Right. I mean, like Tecumseh was was with Blackfish, who was his adopted father, and it was the same Blackfish that adopted Boone. And they would have absolutely overlapped. So I mean, there's no question about that. The the, the speculation is was was Tecumseh one of the kids that Boone gave candy to? Right. I, I didn't. The statement I made, I, I made two just interesting statements that I remembered. I remember Boone telling his son Nathan that Blackfish would suck on a sugar mm-hmm. cube and give it to him. I mean, man, when you think about. Uh, like a way to like capture a moment in history, Boone knew how to do that. Yeah, and it showed so much of what Blackfish wanted from Boone uh-huh. and who he was. But but the way I said it in the podcast, it made it sound like Blackfish was giving candy to the kids. Boone was the one who also told Nathan, his son, that hey, I w- I would give candy. I guess he got sugar cubes from somewhere. Uh-huh. To the little kids in Chillicothe, or, or they weren't in Chillicothe at that time. Uh, well, yeah, they were. He could have given a sugar cube to Tecumseh. Yeah, that's speculation. We don't know that. So I thought that was really fascinating. Also, also, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about Chief Ben Barnes, mm-hmm. fascinating guy to hear speak. I mean, just oh. he seems very articulate and knowledgeable, and I'm hoping we're going to get to hear from him more. Oh, for sure. It was. It was kind of. I, I kind of hated it that he didn't show up more on this first episode. He just didn't, we didn't talk as much with him about the chronology of Tecumseh's life. Uh-huh. So he weighs in a whole lot more in later episodes. And we're going to hear about the Shawnee Nation today. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. But, Dad, what do you think? Oh, it is always very, very good. Um, uh, Really deep. I mean, it was just like, I just couldn't believe all the action in that thing. Um, an amazing guy. You know, I read about Quanta Parker years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two guys remind me of each other. Yeah. Empire uh, of the Summer Moon. And I never dreamed there'd be an Indian more popular and a bigger significance than Quanta. I mean, he entertained presidents and... Uh, <clears throat> but this guy was amazing. I mean, I liked it when they said you have a personality arise. They didn't say a generation or every other generation, but you see it in sports. You know, you go, this is a generational athlete. Uh, but he was one in a many, many, many people that had the ability to lead, uh, just a natural ability. And, yeah. you know, his looks, that was, inter- you know, that's kind that of interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, yeah. he had everything you would want in a leader. He even had a limp where people could tell who he was from a yeah. distance. Yeah. I mean, he was a beautiful guy. He was built well. He was strong. He was, his voice, I mean, everything about him was said, I am the guy. Follow me. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure, uh, I assume he took the nation down the right path. I don't know about that. I mean, right. you know, he cost a lot of lives by taking them in that direction. But yeah, uh, it's also intriguing to me that it was just Ohio, Wisconsin, Indiana, you know, Illinois, just the, 
Mid-America. Yeah. That, you know, that's, it sounds like a pretty good plan to me. Let's go for that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, and that's so deep, it's, it's hard to get everything right. But the, the simplest way to say it is that Tecumseh didn't think that the whole continent of North America was going to be given back to the Native Americans. They just wanted an Indian nation. Yeah. And that, when you think about it, is really doesn't sound that wild. Right. It's oh, it's wild. I mean, yeah. think about mm-hmm. Europe. Think about Europe. Mm-hmm. Europe right. is full of different countries. I mean, there, there's, I mean, a country like the U.S. that has this much geographic land of, of contiguous, you know, geographic areas under the same jurisdiction of government is pretty wild. And, you know, if there was a, if there was a country inside of this, heck, we'd, we wouldn't we'd just be like, yeah, that's. It would have yeah. worked some way. I mean, we would have combined forces together and yeah. been like one country. I mean, who knows where it would have gone, but pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about Tecumseh that's so intriguing. And we really haven't even got into, these things are so hard to, to put together because we haven't even got into really what he did. Right. We, we described his, we spent a lot of time on his childhood, which I thought, that's always one of the most interesting parts to me of these guys' lives is who made them and why are they the way they are? And when you see the crisis in Tecumseh's life, oh my gosh, we can't. Now, there are people on planet Earth today that can identify with living in a war zone and having people killed. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not something that is unusual to the Humanity. human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for us here in North America, yeah. But, I mean, that... Three major figures, like every father he ever had, died by the time he was fourteen years old. His his older brother, who then was tasked to raise him, Chisiqua, dies. Chisiqua says, "I don't want to be buried like these." You're not supposed to say that word anymore. Squaw. They don't say that anymore. Indians don't say that. They don't. They really? Don't. Yep. So, but that's what that's what they said. Did but he know? said, I, I want the fowls of the air to pick my bones. I love that, man. Yeah. I just thought that was awesome. Pick I'm thinking that's kind of the way I want to go. We can you make know, that happen. Hey, Did you know there was a duck that had to get renamed because it was called an old squaw? Yeah. It's a long yeah. tail now. Yep. Yep. I'm for it. Yep. I just want it recorded. When I heard that, I immediately looked at Clay and said, hey, I don't feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> for what is man going hey, on the those, record? Those, the Native Americans... And this goes back to what's so intriguing to me from a language and f- kind of folk speech. Like where did where did the, kind of the American dialect come from? Is that the, the Native American orators were powerful. You go back and listen to the very first introduction of the podcast. I start off with a quote from Tecumseh where he's talking to who would eventually become a U.S. president, William Henry Harrison. Just listen to the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of Tecumseh quotes where, I mean, th- those guys, man, that's all they had. They didn't have written language. They didn't have, they didn't have books to write stuff in. I mean, in, in most of their history. What they had was spoken language, mm-hmm. and they were masters of it. And then when these Europeans came over here with the English language, they heard these guys talk and were like, wow. And, and, you know, Robert Morgan is the one who told me that, uh, well, I, I said all that to say what Chisiqua said was, that's just the way they spoke. They were just dramatic 
in the way that they spoke. You know, he said, I, I want the fowls of the air to pick my bones. I don't want to be buried back at camp. But that would have really impacted Tecumseh. And the and I'm picking on two things here. The fog of death over his life, but then that translated into him being this leader, visionary, with um, with what he believed was in the best interest for his people, and then him being this great orator and leader. Incredible stuff. Isaac, what was your favorite part? I got three big ones. Okay. One, the idea that he like stood up on, on the first war party outing, 15 years old, mm-hmm. against, like, yep. if I was in that position, I'd be like, yep, we torture people. That's what I'm into now. Like, because <laughs> I had just no, like, personal authority or, you know. Or identity. Yeah, to be able to be like, hey, guy, I, even if I felt that way, you know, and I'm not, right. I'm not trying to map my my current understanding of the world onto these people. But to see someone do that is truly remarkable to me. Yeah. To stand, stand against a trend. Yeah. Cause you, you could, you not, could dice not it just, up. but as a, not as a full grown man, as a 15, I mean, right. to, to some degree he was, but like as a 15 year old boy, I was, you know, lighting bottle rockets with my buddies and getting up to no good. And he's like, Hey, let's, uh, let's reconsider this tradition. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. Two, I've been back and forth. So like... Hey, let me stop you. Hold okay. your number two. Okay. I want to talk about that because that was a definer of Tecumseh's life. Yeah. That was what got back to the American people that made them love Tecumseh. Was that... That was that was part of what got back. And um, I had asked Peter Cozen's... I said, where did, where did that come from? And, and in the section we used on the podcast, it was kind of like, we don't know where he got that. Like, how did that come? It, what wasn't on the podcast, because I just had to chop it, was he, he told me that there were some other chiefs, like way back, like a random chief every now and then <clears throat> would be like, hey, this is bad. We shouldn't do this. So he, he, he probably had that in his... Yeah. Took his a historical lineage at some point, but he still had to stand up yeah. vehemently. Yeah. And we just told this time when he was 15 when he yeah. did that, that was the first time he made a stink about it. Yeah. But all through his life, even to yeah. his deathbed, he was going in and like scolding guys for for torturing prisoners, which was extremely common. Mm-hmm. Um whole life. And two. To bring it back or, to uh Daniel Boone. Uh, it makes me wonder, he was 10 years old when Daniel Boone was captured. Only five years later, he's standing up to a war party saying, like, let's reconsider how we operate here. So it wouldn't surprise me if he stood out as a child in this circumstance. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 10 years to 15 years old is not that big of a difference. Number yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, I, like, my background, I f- maybe considered more of a bleeding heart or I don't know what you would want to call it, but like I empathize with the plight of native Americans and I feel kind of bad about the way that they have been treated historically speaking. And I was listening to a podcast recently that deals with a modern struggle of native rights against, uh, the established government. And I got to thinking like in any other circumstance, a conquered people, like it doesn't matter what they feel like the history of, people is that we conquer other peoples and then it's like too bad you lose and so i i was like is my feeling correct about this but one of the things that made me swing back to my original position on this is the idea that 
what is at stake here is not a conquered people versus a conqueror, but it is a powerful entity that operates in bad faith, uh-huh. giving treaties and then going back on their word, saying, here's how we're going to deal with you, and then discovering that that was a lie or a ruse to whatever. And so ultimately, what we're saying is, not only is this a people who is treated poorly in terms of they had the bad luck to be overran by people who had better technology and a bunch of disease, but then those people who were operating in power dealt in bad faith with them and have continued to. And so that's a lot of the issue that we're dealing with today. Not this abstract comp concept of this people was treated poorly back then, but our government said, here's how we'll operate with you. Here is a legal document that says, these are your rights, this is your place, that continually was treated like garbage. And mm-hmm. so I think that that is an interesting thing to view this through, because not only is there this moral question of what's right and wrong, but there is this legal question of, we they are probably owed something to some degree. And, and through that lens, the idea of, hey, I'd just like to set up this Indian country that seems like a very valid and very small ask, especially because that was guaranteed to them by the way our government operated. And so I think that's an interesting yeah. concept. You touched on it in the podcast, but yeah, yeah, we didn't go in super deep. Yeah. Which leads to my third point, which is <laughs> it's, he's so interesting. And this is kind of what Gary was talking about in this like great, like confluence of all of these personality and physical traits, the oration. So much of the story of Native Americans is our government dealing with them in a way that they don't understand, like the idea of private land ownership. And so like to treat with them in that way is kind of dirty pool. And then here we have somebody like Tecumseh who understands the concept, is well-versed in the way of the American people, but then also has the backbone to stand up and go, I reject that. So I'm going to lead my people with this understanding into a way that could potentially um, bring success. And I think that's another just really fascinating aspect of his unique personhood. Yeah. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research, 
and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. James, what did you think? Well, there were a couple aspects of it that jumped out to me. The The first part of it that I was really struck by, because I think if you if you took the names off of all the different parties in it and just told the story from from the standpoint of um, a charismatic leader, an oppressed people, or, or you could say it from an oppressed people, or you could even say it from a standpoint of people who are, who felt like they were being treated badly, maybe, or they weren't. Because history is full of um, these figures, and you touched on it, uh, this once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-generation, these people who come along who can inspire a revolution, right? So good revolutions and bad revolutions have have happened throughout history. So that was the first thing that kind of struck me is that this is one of those kind of stories that just didn't result in the kind of happy ending or, um, you know, if it was, if it was put Churchill in there or put Gandhi in there as Tecumseh. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they were victorious. We would remember the history differently. But he right. wasn't victorious, right? Right, and so ultimately, 
Wait, he, what? He <laughs> doesn't win? Oh, God. Hey, I wait till the... you hear Ben Barnes comment on that. Love it. I asked him. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's up for debate. Okay. So, so you... I understand your point. I was making a joke. Yeah, joke. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great yeah, point, yeah. though. So, but you... That's the thing that struck me was how it's a charismatic... It, it's a charismatic leader who... And the second thing that, that I kind of saw was you had said that you had this religious movement started as a religious movement and then, you know, with his brother, and then he came along and added the political and military component to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. How often has that happened? Even fairly recently. Yeah. You know? So history has this way of repeating itself. Yeah. And then, and then thinking about how you were, you had mentioned that they, back to the, the storytelling and the way that they spoke and how that was basically borrowed. Here you had people on essentially two opposite sides, right? So the Europeans who were moving in wanted to conquer and their, and their leadership and their, you know, the religious leaders, their political leaders were looking at their opposition and copying what they admired that their opposition was able to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that still happens too. Yeah. Every day. Um, you know, one side gets a little bit ahead and then the other side copies their tactics and they get a little bit ahead or. Yeah. I, I, so, so the overarching thing there for me is that I was struck by how easily you could, you could take this story and place it in so many other times yeah. in history. Well, and you have just the same you just thing. took the punchline from uh, from episode two, James. So Thanks now, a lot. Now you're, you're fired. fired. Thanks oh, a lot. You're I not getting the invite back. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. Dang no, it. that's a great observation because that's what I talk about it with Dave Edmonds, and it's so interesting to hear him describe it. In that, when you turn a bunch of people loose in the in the same place and there's there's border conflicts and cultural conflicts like the native americans and the the americans basically all the same stuff like always happens mm-hmm. it's different different players different characters different little different scenarios but some it's really similar so yeah that's a that's a good that's a good observation i also thought it was really interesting how the reaction was, hey, we got to get rid of this modern stuff that's coming in here and go back to our simpler way of life. Isn't that interesting? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, so much of history is that conflict between progress and and our roots. It is. It's like we feel it personally. We feel it generationally. We feel it as a country. And, and that's always the political tension pretty much anywhere. Yep. It's the political tension in this country. Yep. Is that, well, you know, who was the America from 50 years ago? We're not that anymore. And and it's an, and it's an idealized way also right. can be. Right. You know, we remember the good things from the past and we forget the whatever. You know, we forget the uh, childhood poverty or, you know, birth rates or, you know, whatever it is that we that we kind of gloss over from the past that wasn't yeah. as good. What do you think, Dad? Didn't have a thought? Yeah, well, I've had a, several, but I uh, forget them 
pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the uh, past. It, you know, the, the point you just made about going back the way we used to be, you know, I, I thought that was really critical. You see it all mm-hmm. through our society today. I want to go back the way we were to 20 years ago. I mean, uh, <clears throat> how we teach our kids all this stuff. They had the same issues. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the Civil War, you know, wherever you go, I mean, it's it, we, we fight the same demons. And when they, when uh, his brother received this vision or whatever it was, this dream, he, uh, he went around the country as an evangelist. And they said a lot of the early evangelists were Indians, like yeah. Oil Roberts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a that overlap was really interesting, and I saw it coming in the book before they actually said it. So, in the way the book structured, it talks about Tenskwatawas, Tenskwatawas, his vision and the components of the doctrine. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking this is a lot. There's a lot of overlap with Christianity. Sounds like a preacher. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you you know, you got the you got the serpent. I mean, that's. Tied oh, right yeah, in with what that. we believe. And then you've got the away. master, whatever they call it. Master you know? of life. So you got God and Satan. And, and a thing. lot of, and, you know, we couldn't get into like all the doctrine just because it just, there's only so much. I tried to give people just what they need to understand. But the whole thing was about gaining access back to the great spirit, which is essentially yeah. the, the story of Christianity, access to God, you know. And, and so the, it was the same thing. It was it was it was a similar story, and it was so interesting to hear. Go ahead, go ahead. Before I forget it, yeah, uh, he said the brother said that uh, I've already forgotten it. <laughs> but the the point that I'm driving at, I've talked to Indians, uh, you know, people that I know today, and they say one great thing that came from all this was Christianity, and uh, so there was some good that came. I'll raise my hand again. I'm getting too old to be on the render. Hey, I, hey, here you go. Here's a, here's a here point. Here it is. Here, here's a point. No, this isn't it. This is better. This is <laughs> okay. Even better. When I think about the render, the brotherhood, the bond that we have here, we eat out of the same bowl. We eat out of the same, with the same spoon. There you go. Same stuff. Strong man. metaphor, huh? Yeah, there you go. Does anybody yeah, want this sugar metaphor. cube I've been chewing on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pass the sugar cube. That's what we're going to start doing. No, I thought I thought that was super interesting that yeah. the, the at the time of the great awakening in this country and there were all there was this frontier Christian revival same same time this was happening super interesting and um yeah the 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 miracles were very interesting mm-hmm. the eclipse so when you read it there's some guys that just straight up say Tenskwatawa knew there was an eclipse coming and it just it just it worked William out Henry perfectly. Harrison just like you know yeah. threw him a softball you know a slow pitch and just let him knock it out of the park but I mean I don't know how how fast does word travel about a solar eclipse I mean today even with Instagram I I only know him about a few days before they happen <laughs> and he was he said it fifty days before um, I, I don't know and then but no one can predict an earthquake no. No. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think Tecumseh was like, it happened, or do you think he was like, lucked out on that one? (laughs) Dodged a bullet. (laughs) I asked Robert Morgan. Yeah, he said he. he New York Times bestseller, author, Times bestselling author Robert Morgan. Yeah. Hey, he blamed a lot of the problems 
not on the white man, but on the way they were living. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, that was that was pretty insane. I mean, you know, I mean, they. We do the same thing today. We talk the same way today. A lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. They they said that it was a it was a punishment for. They believed that what was happening to their culture was a, was a punishment for them assimilating. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And the, the other part of this story, the more I learn about these things, is that this all didn't happen real quick. Like right now, when we tell the story, we say, yeah, there were there was a civilization here, and then that civilization was basically moved and removed. This thing took place over the course of several hundred years. And so I was really, I mean, almost disappointed in a way when I learned that a lot of the Shawnees rejected Tecumseh and his brother. I mean, mm-hmm. You just kind of were like, doggone it, really? And you said JC, man. I'm not too sure about that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was what? the one who said a prophet wouldn't be accepted <laughs> in his hometown. <laughs> oh, man. What, what, uh, what, it's interesting to think about the timeline. So... They accepted European settlement, 1492, right? Took a couple of goes to start. If you want to look at the Vikings settling sooner, that's a different thing. But if you just go with 1492, we've not been the United States of America longer than we have, right? And so, like, it seems like this very short, compressed thing, but, like, that's almost 300 years before Tecumseh comes along. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of time. That's a... Yeah. Lot of time, especially in the they new were world. talking about Christopher Columbus the same way we are. Yeah, I mean the difference between three hundred and five hundred years. Right. I mean it's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a complicated history, and and it, it it is intimidating to do a series like this because, um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this is an all inclusive that this podcast is going to cover everything about Tecumseh's life. That'd be impossible, but. Man, I want it to have mm-hmm. as much as it it can that makes sense of the time. And to me, like the 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 revelations that I have about these things as I study them is what I put on the podcast. And I thought it was a powerful metaphor, the soccer game. Oh, it's great. It would be like trying to describe what it would be like for the Native Americans and and with an understanding of their understanding of of private land ownership, which I'm fascinated with. Mm-hmm. I own a piece of land that's not here, a small piece of land. And when I go there, that's not where I live. Okay. We, we got own it. another little mm-hmm. piece of property. When I go there. Can you drop me a pen? Negative. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I don't own this place. This is ridiculous. This is, this is a joke. I don't own this place. Yeah, I've got the right to be here. Nobody else does. I don't own this place. Uh-huh. I, I for real feel like that when I'm standing there. I'm like, this is not. This is this is a very abstract, weird feeling. I identify with those guys. Yeah. But okay, soccer game. When you understand that a the Native American, a lot of the tribes, that their connection to their gods and the spiritual world is very site specific. Super good intel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To understand their culture. And then for a group to come in that had private land ownership, worldview and understanding, it would be like a soccer game forming in your yard around you. And 
the rules of the game violate your worldview. You don't understand them. You don't know them. But you're in the, you find yourself in the middle of the game. I and th- whoever wins gets the land. Yeah. To just like flesh this out a little bit further, on my point number two, I feel like the rules of the game are additionally convoluted by the fact that the opponent is telling you the rules and then changing yeah. them. There you go. That's it. <laughs> you that can was, pick yeah. up the ball. Whistle. See, you, you your picked point up the number ball. two is just way too long. You should have just said that. We'd all got it. Pick up the ball. And then... <laughs> they cheated at the soccer game. We'd ad- all know what you meant. Additionally, you're not really aware that you're going to lose your house at the beginning of the game. Right. It just slowly unfolds that, like, hold up. Yeah, we're just going to play for fun. Somebody yeah. just moved a bed. <laughs> They're going to give you somewhere else, but you got to walk there. Yeah, yeah the, the most amazing thing to me is what James said. Dang it. We've got a hero that lost. That's just yeah. uncalled for in American America. culture. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I mean, yeah. But I bet, but I think history is probably full of that. Oh, yeah. That's the thing is well, history is right, littered probably. with these people that have done amazing things, but they just didn't win. And whoever won gets to write the history. It, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, the just don't always win. I mean, they, they don't. They don't win. Um. I thought the other thing, if I was, if I had been asked, uh-huh. Misty, why don't you ask me? Clay, what did you, you think? You got to make the podcast. What? No, you asked me, Misty. What did you think? What did you, what was your favorite part? Was oh, it thing- thanks for asking. That's great. M- to me, one of the most interesting parts was about the influence of Native American culture on early American identity. I thought that was super interesting. I think that's way underrated. And I'll walk you even more through what I said on the podcast. So, the, 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 and I hope it made sense. It did. I think the difference between Europeans today, like you just go get a random sampling of a guy from Europe and you put him with a random guy from, I don't know, just a state in this country. And it would help if that guy was somehow connected to the land in a way, not somebody from urban America. I think the difference between those guys, which would be a vast difference, if you could really trace it back, if you could do a ancestryandme.com with culture and figure out kind of where they came from, I think the difference is the Native American influence that impacts us to this day. Because when you think, because the Daniel Boone was the first real American non-governmental hero. America's first heroes were like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and these kind of guys. The only guys written more about than Boone are those two in American history, American literature. The only two guys written more about. And Boone, so Boone, in a philosophical level, taught us how to be an American. He was an archetype. And Daniel Boone was tried for treason, Josh. Because they thought he was an Indian. He, he, he went and, and lived with them, became adopted with them, knew, knew um, the Shawnee language, knew how to trade. He would come back, and they wouldn't trust him. They're like, dude, you can't trust that guy. He's been with you know, these domestic terrorists. Mm-hmm. And he was so influenced by the Native Americans and all these frontiersmen were. I mean, they taught us how to live in this place. I think that's fascinating. I think I it's fascinating. I and uh, uh, 
point of order real quick. Uh, my dad, who is wonderful and listens to the podcast religiously, Chris Neal, called on the way down here and said... What Chris say? He said, is Clay sure that all of his descendants are white Europeans? I said most of them. Your descendants? Mm -hmm. You did say that because oh, yeah. I, I paid attention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have. Oh, well, I did. Hey, 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 no, 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 no. You no, should no, be no. very sure about this, actually. Clay. You should be extremely sure. I didn't get it the first time he said it. Either. I caught it. I caught it. I don't. Are I don't. you sure all of your Missy. descendants are all your descendants? Oh, <laughs> descendants. oh no. They should. Tell you a snail. You and, and I both okay. missed it. Okay. Okay. I listened to the podcast twice yesterday. Missed it okay. and missed it when he first said okay. it. Okay. I see okay. what you okay. say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I love it. It's like being on LinkedIn. But when you're on LinkedIn and you make a grammatical error, you're hammered. <laughs> on Instagram, they'll let it slide. <laughs> Instagram yeah. doesn't even let you edit some of your things to fix those grammatical er errors. Got it. Yeah. No, tell Chris I'm sorry. I did. I was listening well, so to the uh, good point. The Meat Eater podcast with what they do the, yep. the 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 game the game show one. Yes, yep. trivia, trivia. And Spencer Newhart said pronunciation he did Ooh. he did oh no it's viral yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah. it is it's like great. a sickness it's spreading yeah. <laughs> it's listen great. yesterday clay Influencer said right pronunciation and you did he did oh, yeah. he said it in the podcast and when i was I listening to, really... to it i paused and said is that how you say that <laughs> surely that can't be right you're a total influencer clay. <laughs> mm. well well so what's coming up on episode number two clay the second the half same. of tecumseh's life okay Second half of his life, so we really haven't even got into the to what he he did, which is he was highly involved in the War of eighteen twelve, right? Sided with the British, okay. So he's totally totally in with the British. So no, a fascinating guy, and uh, we didn't even talk about him being a hunter. That was the main thing he was known as as a young man was a great hunter. Oh yeah, none of us picked up on that forty deer. Yeah, he killed forty, 40 deer. deer. 40 deer in three days. It's funny. That's the part that Clay really questioned in the whole story. He's like, oh, <laughs> oh that about the 40 deer. Uh, <laughs> I know something about hunting, and <laughs> that is not. Well, it's possible. But no, when I'm reading all these things, especially when there's a guy that far back, a lot of the questions I have for some of these historians, and I've learned a lot from Robert Morgan and from some of these other guys, it's like, how do we know that? Like, how do we know he did that? Because, I mean, I, I, I hope he did that. But I want to know how, and a lot of them, when they come from multiple sources that it's are a good indicator. but some things are just like, you trace it back and you'd be like, yeah, somebody wrote that in their journal and they never even met the guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, the point story, stands that even if it was half that. If it was a tenth of that, <laughs> yeah. you would be a great hunter. Like yeah. if I killed four day four deer in three days, somebody'd be like, "Dude, that Isaac guy knows how to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting it done." Yeah. So I think the point stands. Yeah, yeah. Even he was he was known as a great hunter in the in the Shawnee Nation, and that was a major deal for yeah. them. That was like that was being that was be, like being a NBA athlete. Speaking of hunting, what's coming up on March fourth? Black Bear Bonanza. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At the Benton County Quail Barn in Bentonville, Arkansas. Dang. Yep. Get your tickets, $10 each. <sighs> the website, backcountryhunters.org. Yep. Go to the events page if and you have a, find it. If you have a protest you want to launch, you might try that. An audio-based protest, you might try that during the Bear Grease Render recording. What do you mean? I'm just, 
I'm just trying to ins- in- incentivize some people to come out that might not otherwise. Oh, you think they might start like yeah. chanting? Yeah, could like, be. Let I don't Misty know. talk. Yeah. Let Misty talk. <laughs> I, I was thinking if you have an owl hoot, you should yeah. be practicing. Uh, yeah. Ooh, That's, big, yeah. And it doesn't yeah. matter where you're listening. Hey, I think either. we're going to get yeah. to the point where we're going to have to have a like qualifying round. Oh, we wow. might. We had so a lot of not, people last because year. It would be, yeah. If it was like an hour and a half of people getting up there and out hooting, it, you'd get yeah. tired of it. Yeah. But how, you'd have to have... How many competitors did you have last year? I mean, like, probably 40. I think oh, so. Are you serious? I that think way? we had about 40 people. The I mean, it was a lot. in Arkansas were good. I'm um, just going to say that. I'm not saying they were all from Arkansas, but we've been to other places wow, this year. And but you, you do the get the, you do get the guys that probably have never outhooted much they just mm-hmm, want to right. get up there and have a fun time right which is cool yep uh, what are the chances of me doing all right with a trench coat and a real owl man well, if first i get of up all, there with if you can make it if you can put an owl under your trench coat <laughs> and make it hoot i say let him go mm. that's yeah, yeah I, do bonus it. points bonus points for execution right yeah but Survival. game and fish will be there so just <laughs> yeah. be wary yeah. That's what you the trench coat is for. You for a barred owl. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a barred owl. I know you do. Mm. <laughs> I know you do, Clay. Mm. Well, hey, this has been great. This has been great. This is uh, this is a long this is a long time coming for me. I've been planning this for a long time. It's come so. It's true. Yep. Yeah. All Very right. Good. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.